0: Uh, I'd like to welcome, my name is Richard Miller. I'm the chairman of the Penn Translation Committee, and I'd like to welcome you all here this evening for the annual Penn Translation Awards. The committee is very proud that we are able to administer these awards. Some of them we sponsor ourselves. Some of them are co-sponsored by other organizations. One of the functions of the Penn Committee, I think, is to draw attention to the role of the translator and what a translator is, in today's world, it's something that's most frequently overlooked, even by people who, who read a great deal in foreign languages. One of the goals of the committee has been to create a greater awareness of the translator's function, and one of the things that we've recently done that I wanted to tell you about while we were all here together was to complete work on a model contract and guidelines for translators for use in their dealings with publishers. It will be out sometime this summer, and I hope that all Penn members will be getting a copy, and will pass it around, and will try to raise the level of awareness in the literary community of the translator's task. Of course, another way of winning recognition for translators is awards. The PEN Awards are not for the best translation or for any kind of particular distinguished translation. They are for the recognition of the fact that out of many well-translated books that are published each year, some are particularly striking examples of the art of translation, and we are trying to recognize them this evening. The first award that we're giving is called the Renato Poggioli Award, Uh, Jonathan Galassi is going to present the award. The judges were William Weaver, Jonathan Galassi, and Eleanor Murdoch, and he will read the citation.
1: I'm pleased to announce the winner of the third Renato Poggioli Award of $3,000, which we give to a promising young translator from the Italian with a major work in progress. This year's recipient is W.S. Di Piero, who unfortunately cannot be with us tonight as he is completing his academic year as an instructor at Northwestern University. Di Piero is currently completing, also, a book-length selection of poems by Leonardo Ciniscali to be called the Ellipse in English. Though he can't be here, uh, Mr. Di Piero has sent us the following telegram. To the members of Penn and to the Poggioli Award Committee, I wish to express my deepest thanks for this prestigious award given in recognition of my translation of poems by Leonardo Siniscali. I only wish that Siniscali were still among us to share this recognition. i like to think that this award is a celebration of his achievement. The Penn Translation Award and the Poggioli Award in particular are rare acts of evaluation and are thus crucial in motivating and sustaining not a translation industry, but rather the industrious solitary work of the translator. This award will sustain and encourage me while I continue to revise the Siniskali translation, and eventually, I hope, to see it through the press. A translator makes his provisional poem in that untidy, unsafe place between the strange and the familiar, the alien and the known, the Pojoli Award offers the kind of acknowledgement that makes a translator feel welcome and for a while secure there. Again, my thanks. W.S. DiPiero. <clears throat>
0: <clears throat> <clears throat> the Kalust Gulbenkian Pen Translation Prize is given every other year, obviously, with funds from the Gulbenkian Foundation for a distinguished translation from the Portuguese. This is the second time this award has been given. The judges for this year's award were Mark Strand, Erwin Stern, and Hilma Wollitzer. Erwin Stern will read the, trans- the citation. And okay. the award there.
1: Award this year is given to Gregory Rabassa for his translation of the Brazilian novel Avalovara. The, the citation reads, Gregory Rabassa's translation from the Portuguese of Avalovada by the late Asmond Lynch brings a masterpiece of modern Brazilian and Latin American narrative to the attention of the English reader. Gregory Rabassa's translation demonstrates his keen literary and technical skills. He conveys the novel's universal significance without sacrificing its intense lyricism. Gregory Rabassa has indeed crafted a text of astonishing faithfulness, beauty, and authority. And the translator is here.
2: I'm glad that uh, to have won something for Portuguese, because I (coughs) I have a doctorate in that. I'm a doctor in Portuguese. (laughs) And... uh, it's sort of like coming home again to uh, work on something that uh, I and many others have been trying to push, which is this uh, little hidden language that is uh, spoken by uh, the, most, the westernmost corner of Europe. Uh, I think it, uh, I forget who said it, uh, an English scholar, maybe Kitto that it's the greatest uh, body of literature from a small country since Attic, Greece. And then the other unknown fact is that half of the people in Spanish, in South America, speak Portuguese. I wish that Osman, who had looked uh, to this novel and its reception out of Brazil, could have lived to have seen its uh, final publication because I had worked with him it by mail and he uh, died uh, shortly before it was published. Uh, so again, thank you all concerned and uh, all I can say about uh, the Gulbenkian Foundation which has done so much for Portugal and uh, its culture and its monuments, it has a budget that uh, probably is bigger than the national budget but uh, supposed to good work I- is that uh, it's one of the best organizations in the world that I know of that keeps the faith. I wish we uh, had more of them done in Washington. Thank you.
0: <clears throat> <clears throat> the Goethe House Pen Translation Prize is being given this year for the eighth time. It's for a distinguished translation from the German and it's co-sponsored by Goethe House and Penn. The judges this year were HF. Brox- Waltermann, Anne Rice and Walter Arndt, and Anne Rice will read the citation.
3: <laughs> Looks very, very high. <laughs> Thank you. I'll have to (laughs) hold it. Mr. John Brownjohn, in his fine English rendering of Rolf Hochhut's Eine Liebe in Deutschland, a German love story, has demonstrated the rare combination of gifts and skills which marked a truly bilingual translator, rich lexical resources in both languages, semantic and stylistic sensitivity, emotional empathy and self-effacing fidelity. Mr. Brown-John does equal justice to the even-toned yet highly charged simplicity of the original in its narrative portions and to the moral passion which inspires the frequent authorial discourses on the totalitarian mind and the horrors it spawns. Who is going to... I'm
0: sorry, Mr. Irwin Smith was going to receive this award for Mr. Brown-John, I'm sorry. We didn't know who you were, <laughs> Mr. Thank you. Mr. Brown-John is, is in England, and I believe he is English. We were talking just before the awards ceremonies that uh, there seems to be little point in restricting the nationality of a translator, as uh, was remarked, an alien is uh, not alien in translation. There is no such thing. And if a book has been published in, Engl- in America and translated into English, I don't think it makes any difference what the nationality of the translator is. We're very pleased that mister Brownjohn has won the award. The American Scandinavian Foundation Prize, this is the second year we're giving it, and I'd like to introduce um, the president of the American Scandinavian Foundation, David Swickert, who has a few things to say,
4: today. Um, On behalf of the uh, trustees of the American Scandinavian Foundation and the people who've worked with us in the uh, translation prize to develop it over the past two years, I'd like to thank the American Pen Center for having helped us uh, put together a prize that was intended to bring uh, from another corner, a little-known corner of Europe, uh, a first-rate literature to the attention of the American people. Somewhat diff- different from the Portuguese, we have no hidden uh, South American connection, and we also have five five uh, nations from which we five nations from which we work. Um, we we have put together each year from the manuscripts which are awarded a uh, the best of the manuscripts in our. December Scandinavian Review. This, in addition to working for the publication of the particular manuscripts, um, is the total objective of the project itself. This year's uh, judges were Rika Lesser, Judith Moffat, and Alexis Rannett. Rika Lesser will later um, read the citations. The winner for poetry was Lucia Muberg. Who has translated Birja Schuberti's lyrics, Frida's book, a portrayal of small town life in Sweden. Unfortunately she will not be able to be here tonight, but she receives a check for $500 and a bronze medal from the American Scandinavian Foundation. However, this evening we are pleased to have with us Kathleen Osgood Dana who has translated her, has translated excerpts from the enormously popular Finnish novel Here Beneath the Northern Star by Veno Lina. Um, We're very pleased to have her here this evening, and I hope she'll receive from my hand and perhaps make some comments about translating from the Finnish uh, the American Scandinavian Foundation Prize for Translation from Fiction. Is she there?
5: To receive this award at the hands of such prestigious judges, and I'd like to thank everyone who's helped me in this case. This is my margin releaser, this little one here. And um, one thing that I think is particularly important about this is Viner Luna's work is very important. It touches the heart of every Finn who's read it, and it's the kind of thing that um, needs a, needs an English audience. It's um, it's th- it's so large, it's a trilogy, it's over 1,500 pages, and it um, covers the scope of Finnish life from 1884 until the 1950s, and it tells of the great struggles that people went through to um, farm a very unproductive land to maintain a life and yet um, find a source of their humanity thereby. And I find it very exciting that um it will be um awarded such such honor fr- from pen and the american Scandinavian foundation and i hope that it'll find an acceptable readership within the united states and all the rest of the english speaking world or english reading world excuse me <laughs> and thank you very much
6: A little bit belatedly, I'm going to read the citations. Um, I'm sorry Lucia Moberg can't be here, but for the judges chose her translations of Birga Schröberg, for they are all, all but untranslatable song lyrics, for the energetic affection with which these translations have tackled the very difficult technical problems posed by the Swedish originals, and for the adroitness and ingenuity with which many of the problems have been solved to give us singable English versions of a modern classic. I think if if and when that book appears in English, the music must go along with it. It's a whole separate area of verse translation that deserves more attention and more practitioners than we already have. And um, this is the backwards part. This is about Kathleen Osgood Dana's translation. For its attentiveness to the Finnish original, the judges chose Kathleen Osgood Dana's translation of the opening of Vaino Lina's trilogy, Here Beneath the Northern Star. Lina's freewheeling syntax, fluid composition, phonetically quantitative rhythm, epic pathos, and Nordic humor all eminently foreign to our English language tradition, have nonetheless been conveyed in Dana's unaffected, restrained American rendering.
0: The Penn Translation Prize is being given this evening for the 19th time. The prize is funded by the Book of the Month Club, the judges for this year's prize were Paul Schmidt, Barbara Stoller Miller, and myself. Before calling upon Paul Schmidt to read the judge's citation to present the award, I would like to quote, as one of the judges, to quote briefly from Robert Adams's review of this book that appeared in the New York Review of Books. He wrote that the translator was deserving of all the praise available to practitioners of his exasperating and self-effacing craft. And he went on to note that as for the volume of a whole, it is an an example of creative publishing which reflects credit on everyone associated with it, likely to serve well the reputations of author, translator, and publisher alike. I think that that order of listing in which the translator is given his rightful place puts all translated books into their proper perspective. And lacking one of the three, any one of those three, our experience of foreign literatures would be much the poorer. Paul, would you like to read the tr-
7: It seems uh, hardly reasonable nowadays to think of translation as a sensible labor for money. And it most likely is then alas, as my old professor of Greek once told me, merely a labor all the tangled complexities of a great novel, sights, sounds, and textures, have been under-
8: If Arno Schmidt were still alive, unfortunately he isn't. He died two years ago as all this was in the middle of translation. He would have been sitting very quietly in his little hut on the edge of the Lunenberger Heath, and he would have rejoiced, but he would not have appeared in public because he was a hermit. But I know that his name will, in the decades and the centuries to come, be as important as many of the very great names of German, or for that matter, world literature, with which you are already acquainted. I'm a partisan to the cause, but I am sure that since Thomas Mann or Franz Kafka, there is no writer in the German language as important as Arno Schmidt. And so above all, for this translation, I have him to thank, and I think all of the readers who will look at this book in the future, whether in English or in German, have him to thank. And then, of course, there are other people to thank. There's my wife Ulrika. And there is Peter Ott, a Schmidt scholar at the University of, of Massachusetts in Boston, who gave a very close reading and offered well over a thousand suggestions for possible solutions to a great many difficult linguistic problems. There is also S. Fischer Verlag in Germany. Marion Boyars Publishing, who published the book in England. And above all, and this I repeat from the same phrase that I used as this book received the um, American Book Award Translation Prize, I would like to thank a very courageous advocate and defender of humane, liter- of humane letters, and that's Helen Wolf at Harcourt Brace Jovanovich. Thank you very much.
0: I have great pleasure in introducing Alistair Reed, who's going to say a few words to us. I was going to introduce him as a translator and a writer and a critic and a poet, but he says I'm to introduce him as an ex translator, and he's going to speak to us about part of his exodum, I think. Alistair Reed. Um, about
9: um, four years ago, I was. Um, in Mexico, and I found myself on a panel with Octavio Paz and José Emilio Pacheco, whose poems I was translating at the time. And um, the man in charge of the panel um, said, um, first addressing himself to us, um, ¿qué es lo que se pierde en en traducción? What is it that really gets lost in translation? And without any prompting, José Emilio Pacheco, who was then translating my poems into Spanish, replied with agony in his voice, La, única, la cosa principal que se pierde en traducción es la estabilidad mental del traductor. <laughs> the only thing that gets lost in translation, uh, that uh, the main thing that gets lost in translation is the mental stability of the translator. Now, um, In celebrating these translations tonight that that have arrived, um, uh, we're celebrating only the end product of a very long and complex process. And I see the audience is sufficiently peppered with translators who understand this process and who have gone through it um, endless number of times uh, that um, it makes it worthwhile Um, celebrating not the end product but more the process because a finished translation as we laughingly call it because no translation is ever finished and the most agonizing thing for a translator is to pick up a book, an already published book of his translations leaf through it and find three lines that he could make even better now. The process is endless but um, we are left with I think of the Finnish translation as a residue of an enormous, agonizing and at times very lonely business. And I would like the translators who have received these awards to realize that there are a number of us who understand what they have gone through in order to arrive at this point of, uh, of um, so-called so-called finality. There are all kinds of uh, of, um, mannerisms that um, attend translation. I I was with um, Gregory Rabassa in in Puerto Rico in February, and we were doing a radio program about translation, and it occurred to me to ask Gregory, uh, do you ever do, at the end of the day, when you finish translating, do you find yourself doing in the margin one of these little, what I call, translator sums, where you put down number of pages to do, number of pages done, subtract, and you come up with number of pages still to do. And Gregory said, at the end of the day, he said, I do it four times during the day. (laughs) And um, so it is. And um, we can't celebrate all the versions that have been thrown away, abandoned, left behind in order to reach this very slim conclusion of what is a really a voluminous activity. The awful fate of the translator is, if the translator is reaches his zenith and achieves what for him is the best translation that he can arrive at, the best solution that he can arrive at, is that if he does it properly, the work will be such that it will be read in English, and no one will notice that it's a translation. In other words, the ideal that hovers ahead of all of us is a perfect anonymity. As a consequence, translators have to be either saints or fools, and they usually turn out to be a mixture of the two things. Um, It's well known to be an unrewarding uh, activity, in the pen translation, however, in the pen translation committee, however, we've been bending our energies to see that in the future it will be less unrewarded than it is at present. Um, there are certain other aspects of translation that um, I think of now that I've given up translating. And one is that translation is truly a kind of addiction. One can stop translating books, but one never stops translating in one's head, the business of seeing, um, I mean, of translating newspaper headlines. uh, And it really is, uh, as it were, a kind of continuing running game. There are always problems of translation and they remain endlessly fascinating. To that extent, um, the addiction, one never rises above the addiction. The addiction is always present. And it has to do really with an intense concern for language, an intense concern for, for shifting uh, meaning and effect from one language context to another. The translator is n- also never satisfied by what he does. He knows that were he to give another year to the translation, he might refine it, uh, whittle it and polish it until it assumed an even closer uh, approximation to the original. But that way lies la, la, la inestabilidad mental which um, um, José Emilio Pacheco was referring to. Um, true anon- anonymity such as translators have to um, um, arrive, attempt to arrive at is not much of a reward and yet it is in another sense the business of making a work exist in another language where, for people who are unable to read that, the original language, um, they have to depend on the translation, have faith in the translation. Is That uh, represents a sizable leap of faith. And um, we know only too well that um, that, um, that investment of faith is to some extent a responsibility. And translators wear and carry that responsibility all the time. There are really um, three dimensions in this. There are three levels of reading, if you like. There are those who read the original in the original language. Very simple, direct procedure. There are those who read an original in a translation. They read the translated version and have faith that they are getting an approximate Um, rendering of the original. But there is a third dimension, and um, certain members of the audience have um, already entered into this dimension, and that is reading a translation. This is a very rarefied cultural activity. It requires two texts, the original and the translation, several dictionaries, etc., and one reads two texts simultaneously and this is a unique and rather rare pleasure that when one is reading a translation like certain translations of Gregory's etc one comes on one is reading the Spanish and we, and one says well at least that will take care of me you'll never get that and then one looks at the other text and sees the solution and one whistles out of pleasure Now, this is a rarefied level of reading that not everybody can aspire to, which is uh, tantamount to saying that there are very few people who really understand the, the intricateness, the complexity, and the extremely tenuously high level of achievement of a translation. To judge a translation, one would have to have read the original well, and one has to read the translation as an accompanying text, so that the true virtues of translators will never emerge publicly. They will be the, uh, uh, only available to those few who take the trouble to compare the translation with the original. I sometimes think that, that um, um, is the terrible solitude of the translator uh, a necessary adjunct to the whole profession of translating? It may be that it is. It may be that we have to wrestle with that peculiar um, changing angel privately. But I like to think that, uh, that um, there are ways in which one could alleviate this terrible burden of um, solitary translation. Um, Gide once remarked that um, every writer in any language, owes it to his language to translate the work of one foreign writer and then add, Gide adds this um, qualification, the work of one fallen foreign writer to which his talents and temperament are suited. This seems to be an essential ingredient in the act of translation. It's impossible, I find, to translate the work of a writer whose work one doesn't like. One has to feel very much in tune with and um, I think that um, through the efforts of many people present we have reached an age if not an age of translation the age of translation they say begins around 1952 now but uh, we have reached an age I hope of appreciation of translation infinitely more than we ever appreciated translation in the past and um, It may be that we may encourage by having produced such a a galaxy of um, I think dazzling translations in the past 25 years that we may have induced writers themselves to take much more responsibility about the fate of their work in translation. Neruda used to... um, um, leave his work uh, Neruda used to give permission to translate his work to anybody who asked for it and with the result that um, in the confusion after Neruda's death 27 uh, German translators turned up with letters bearing exclusive permission to translate his work into German and some uh, uh, 20 odd in English as well Niruda was not very clear about the meaning of exclusividad. (laughs) But um, um, I think this this essential kind of connection between translator and writer is is a a crucial element in translation. That the translation is an act of love and one has to be able to love the work and bring out, be moved by the translation to bring out an English equivalence that does the original justice. In an ideal world, um, we would have the original writer sit down with their translators and clarify everything that needs to be clarified. This is not always possible. Fortunately, occasionally it is possible. I've worked um, happily with José Emilio Pacheco I translating his poems, he translating my poems, and more recently with to Padilla in the same way. That has in, uh, uh, innumerable advantages. When I g- struck a line of Padillas that was excessively difficult, I said to him, couldn't you change the original little? And he said, ah, I'd be delighted to. And, um, and um, occasionally cooperation really... Um, uh, <laughs> rises to great uh, heights this can't always be expected however with uh, more objury texts but um, in thinking about the translations I don't want you to think only of these finished books on that table up there I want you to think about the long terrible days that the translator has put in accepting versions, rejecting them picking them out of the wastebasket, putting them back, throwing away, making choices, making innumerable choices, always towards the right choice which always evades the translator somehow. And uh, I think that what we are celebrating is not so much the prizes, but the incredible work of love and devotion that has gone in to achieving the things that won the prizes. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Reed. Thank you all for coming. The bar is still open, and I hope that you all read the books and see you next year.